0: hello thanks for tuning in to the trinity church nottingham podcast it's great to have you with us my name's johnny together with my wife amy we lead this church here in the center of nottingham our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive if we can help you in any way or please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org okay let's jump into the podcast I think I've told this uh, particular story before, but probably not to that many of you. Quite early in the sort of, journey of Trinity Church, we, had, uh, we were given an opportunity to meet somebody, uh, somebody, somebody reasonably well-known, somebody fairly important. And um, a friend of, of this person's was a mutual friend of ours and put us in touch with this man. And this man was a Lord Lieutenant of Nottinghamshire, a guy called Sir John Peace. And he he was and is a very, very kind, generous, uh, warm-hearted person. And he was and is somebody who has a heart for this part of the world, a real desire to see Nottingham and Nottinghamshire flourish. And so we were quite excited Uh, to have this opportunity to meet with him and to show him a bit of Trinity. Now, he was also and is, I imagine, a very, very uh, well-connected person, and so we were particularly excited as we began the journey of Trinity to spend time with somebody who, let's put it this way, might have a clue what was going on and might have a clue how we should go about what was going on because we were still, if I'm honest, in this phase, and maybe we're still here, making it up as we went along. And so Amy and I and Craig, who at the time was working with us in operations, gathered downstairs. And I remember we put a table we spread a table out before him. And we had our coffee and we had cake and we had all manner of things. It was freezing cold, mind. But we had all these things in the building and we just began to wait for Sir John to, to show up. And after a little while, uh, Sir John did show up and I'd been rehearsing. I I'd even been rehearsing, you know, the elevator speech because I knew he was going to ask us, you know, something about the church and what it was about and all this other stuff. I think I had some coaching uh, sessions from Bishop Paul just to make sure that I really honed what needed to be said. And you know, I was sort of this was a moment. This felt like a moment for us. This maybe there were people or uh, connections that Sir John might have that would prosper us in this next season. Uh, maybe there was some kind of uh, financial resource that he had access to uh, that we could gain access to which would help us develop this incredible space which at that point was almost entirely derelict so it's a bit of a pressure moment and Sir John sat down he met Amy he met uh, me he met Craig and he just said so so what's this about Johnny <laughs> and I said to myself you I'm going to make you regret the day you've ever asked that Oh I've got some good stuff on what this is about sir John and I unveiled in great length in great length my our uh, hope our vision our picture of a preferred future and a little while in I sort of blacked out <laughs> a little while in sir John just interrupted me very very he's such a gentleman very very gently he said no let me stop you there. No, Johnny, this is about hope. No, Johnny, this is about hope. And in that moment, something happened in my heart. I mean, it was a, in some ways a, a gently humbling moment. But something was put in, I think, at that moment, the story of Trinity Church. And the story of even my life and Amy's life that hasn't been lost and won't be lost. If you've been in our, if, you, if you've been fortunate enough to park your car in our car park, you are one of them who's come before eight on a Sunday morning. You know that on the side of our building we have emblazoned the word hope, and that is in response to this moment we had with Sir John. Something happened there for our church. That was significant. And we've been talking over the last little while about postures of God's presence. And what we've been trying to get across is the idea that if we want to be people who don't just experience God once a week and then go out and live in a completely sort of, live as if we hadn't, but actually carry His presence with us wherever we go, then what we need is to be postured in a different way. We can't sort of. Stand, if you like, metaphorically crouched over uh, and full of the despairs of life and expect to carry and be able to uh, uh, offer God's presence to other people. We need to adopt postures, certain postures which will enable us to carry, carry God's presence with us every day. And we talked about some of these postures. We've said we need a posture of generosity. We've said we need a posture of expectation. A posture of seeking. In fact, it was last week that George said we need a posture of expectancy or expectation. And and if you like, a synonym for expectation or expectancy would be faith. We need to have faith. We need to have a trust that God could do anything at any time. And he probably will. Because he's God. And if you like, expectancy or faith projected into the future is hope. That's what hope is. Hope is faith projected into the future. Hope says, I believe that there are good things coming in the future. I have faith for and in the future because I have faith in a God who holds the future in his hands. This posture of hope, I think, is so important for the church. It is one of the things throughout history that has marked the church out as special it's one of the ways in which the church is known as a holy people because they have a distinct attitude towards life that is birthed in this posture of hope. And We don't live in a world at the moment which is rich in hope, I would argue that hope, it seems, if you listen to the media anyway, and by the way, if you're in the media, I'm not blaming you for this, but if you listen to the media, if you read the papers, if you listen to the radio, we don't hear many hope-filled stories. Hope, it would seem at times, is in short supply. Yet I want to say today that there are no fewer reasons for hope today than there have ever been. In fact, there are reasons for great hope. Hope today for the people of God. And actually what I think God is doing and wants to do for us as a church and for our communities, for our cities, is to bring hope, make hope front and center. And hope is hugely important. If you want to have a flourishing and functioning mental life, a life of mental health, you need hope. If you want to have a life of bodily health, you also need hope. And if you want to be somebody who has a life which is spiritually healthy, you too need hope. And this letter uh, that we've had a little bit read from First Peter is a letter which deals with matters of hope. It deals with matters of hope. In fact, in this letter, Peter, writing to this church or a series of churches, scattered, exiles they're called, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, that's my best guess, uh, uh, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's writing to these people who, who are in many ways in a hopeless situation. They're being, they've been scattered first and foremost. And they are being persecuted. And they're in the, midst of, in the midst of a pretty desperate persecution at times. And Peter writes to them and says, Look, don't be overcome by what's around you. Don't be overcome by suffering. Don't be overcome by hopelessness. Be filled with hope. And these Christians are, as I said, scattered over modern-day Turkey. Now, at this point in time, there were about a million Jews in Palestine. And there would have been between two and four million Jews outside of Palestine. And they were known as the dispersion or the diaspora, the scattered ones. And this word, the diaspora, the exiles, Peter picks this word up and begins to apply it to the church. Because just as the Jews were outside of Palestine but awaiting a day when they could return to their home, so the people of God have always been a people awaiting a return home. And a day when hope would not be in short supply, but hope would fill them and surround them. And so how do we we develop a posture of hope? How can we actually be people who carry hope even in the midst of the valley? Even in the midst of the diaspora? Even in the midst of persecution? Even in the midst of financial ruin? Even in the midst of grief and loss? How can we be people who carry hope? Well, uh, Peter begins... In perhaps a surprising way, he says this. Praise, verse 3, it's on the screens. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins with praise. And he picks up here something called the berakar. It's an ancient Hebrew blessing which begins with these words. Blessed be the God and Father. Blessed be the God and Father. Peter picks this blessing, this barakah up. But you see, he reapplies it. He says, no, this isn't just something for the people of God, the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites. This is now something which is for all of God's people. This is for the church. And it begins in praise. See, praise is such a key part of carrying a posture of hope. And when you're in suffering, when you're in difficulty, praise is... Counterintuitive. It isn't the first thing that comes to your mind. It isn't the first thing that emerges. It isn't, doesn't always, at least, it doesn't always flow naturally or instinctively. Sometimes praise in the darkest places takes great effort. Just this last week, we were praying. We pray for you every week. We pray for the church every week as a staff team, and we have some time in the prayer room or at our house, and we were praying. I'm talking about hope and one of our team Mark who's with us today just began to share a story a story of a time in his life where he experienced really significant hopelessness really significant depression and it was a time where he was particularly afraid of of death but not just sort of in some sort of abstract nebulous way in a very very real in a very real way he was very very afraid of death and he said to me this he said Johnny in that time, I used to sing the lyrics of a song. Even when I didn't believe the lyrics and when I was fearing death, I would declare these lyrics even though I didn't feel that God existed. And the lyrics are these. They're from a song by a guy called uh, Phil Wickham. They say this, When we arrive at eternity's shore, and death is just a memory and fears are no more. We'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together and sing. You're beautiful. Those great lyrics. How much do you think they meant to Jesus to hear them from the lips of Mark? Mark was doing something so profound in that moment. He was posturing himself toward hope, even though he had no reason for hope. No reason. It wasn't his situation. It wasn't the fact that he was a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. He wasn't putting together a PMA, positive mental attitude. Mark hadn't ransacked the self-help section of his local waterstones and decided to be fitter, happier, and more productive. He'd invested himself in hope. He'd asked God to give him a posture of hope. How can we praise God in the midst of the valley? Well, by remembering his great mercy. Look at this. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. In his great mercy. His great mercy. The, the Hebrew word from which this word great mercy is taken, this is, uh, would have initially been written in Greek, but the Hebrew word is the word hesed. Hesed. And it means covenant faithfulness. It speaks of this rich faithfulness that God has. To his covenant, to his own agreement, uh, to his own agreement to be with his people, has said, God's great mercy. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. You know, hope begins with God. His great faithfulness is the source, it is the key. You know that song, Great is thy faithfulness. O oh God, my Father, sing it if you know it. There is no shadow of turning with thee. I may have started this too high. Thou changes not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. We won't sing the chorus because I'm definitely in a register I can't sustain. Look at this verse. (laughs) Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today. And bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. See, the faithfulness of God gives us strength for today. It is, begins with Him. It begins with Him. It's His great mercy that enables us to take hope and to have hope. It isn't anything that begins with us, it isn't a human work. Somebody just came and shared a word, that they, a picture they had this morning of, of a waterfall, which often indicates God's presence in the sense that this waterfall was flowing, but there were people today who were almost trying to uh, push it back up to sort of make it happen in their own strength, to be receivers of the mercy of God in their own strength rather than just letting the water flow. It is the beginning. The beginning of hope is the mercy of God. It's what he does. And I came across uh, this week I learned something new this week. I learned something from Greek mythology. And this chap, this isn't me, by the way. I know some of you are thinking. Uh, uh, uh. This is Johnny on his Friday. This is him on his day off. Go down the river and do this with Bear grills. No, this isn't me. This isn't me in my loincloth. This is Sisyphus. Now, Sisyphus, for those who don't know, and I didn't know until mm, Wednesday or Thursday, (laughs) Sisyphus was a, a, a cruel king from, he was actually apparently king of Corinth in Greek mythology, and he was punished for trickery. And the punishment that Zeus handed out to him was to send him to Hades, the place of the dead. And while Sisyphus was there, what he had to do is find this big rock, and he had to take this big rock up the mount, up the mountain. He would carry it up, and as, no sooner had he arrived up the top of the mountain than he had to watch the rock roll back down again. And then Sisyphus would go to the bottom of the mountain and he would repeat. And in fact, Sisyphus had to continually do this again and again for all eternity. Doesn't it feel like this sometimes? Doesn't life feel like this? Doesn't having hope sometimes feel like this? Certainly it does feel like this to try and conjure up hope with human strength. If, hope, if all hope is is positive mental attitude, then we are doomed to an eternity with Sisyphus. But actually, hope begins, it's birthed in the great mercy of God. His covenant faithfulness, which is to say, his own divine character. It's who God is that enables hope, not who we are. Oh, What has he done in his great mercy? What has he done? He's given us a new birth. This is the strength for today. This is the strength for today. He's given us new birth. New birth into a living hope. He's given us new birth into a living hope. The word for new birth here in the Greek is And I'm not trying to impress you, by the way. I just want you to see at the middle. It's not that impressive uh, because it's in English, not Greek. I want you to see at the middle of anageno, the general genesis, not just a... Uh, 1980s rock band. A good one. A good one. That word in Greek means the beginning. What, what uh, Peter is saying is that what God has given us in this uh, great mercy, in his great mercy, is a new beginning. Each of us has the opportunity to have a new beginning. And that, that out of his great mercy is one of the great gifts that he gives to us, this new birth into a living hope. And new beginnings should offer us hope. The fact that wherever it is you are right now, there is hope for a new beginning. That his mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3 says that, right? Yeah, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Right? Do you see that? Lamentations 3, the mercy of God, the covenant faithfulness, and also his and hope. Because that whole scripture is coming to my mind now is all about hope isn't it? It's all about the future that God has. He says, you know, uh, I've heard of your great fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Uh, The author of Lamentations is saying there's got to be a new way. There's got to be a new day, and there is a new day with God because he's faithful, and there's a new birth with God because he's faithful, and each of us has experienced that at some level, and I'm here to tell you today there's more to come that the Holy Spirit right now is, is doing something among us which is bringing us new birth. He's bringing us new life. He's stirring up ancient wells. He's renewing a faith which feels desiccated and dry. And he's making us alive. Why is he doing it? It's because he's God and he's good. That's why. Because he's God and he's good. Anageneo, You know somebody who's experienced a little bit of Anna Janeo this last little while? Kanye West. Yeah? You feeling me? <laughs> Careful, Johnny. Careful, Johnny. Don't start rapping, Johnny. Some of you have never heard of Kanye West. I see that in your faces. Can- <laughs> <laughs> you are forgiven. <laughs> Kanye is, if you haven't heard, Kanye is perhaps the most famous artist, hip-hop artist, certainly around. He is somebody who, hey, his career really, really began uh, with him providing beats for Jay-Z. Uh, and Kanye, I, I've got to say, I bought Kanye's first two albums on a thing called CD. I don't, I don't know if you, any of you know what a CD is. There's this thing called CD. It's a, it's a physical thing. It's a bit like a record for those of you who are brought up listening to the wireless, but it's smaller. <laughs> anyway, I bought the first, just, just to, you know, I was cool back in the early noughties, Um, And Kanye, incredibly successful artist. It was some kind of like Christian residue in his past. You know, early songs, Jesus Walks, ends with this sort of refrain. I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we haven't talked in so long. There was something there with Kanye. It was dormant. And it'd be fair to say Kanye moved a little bit away from that over a period of time. Uh, He became infamous rather than famous, infamous for interrupting Taylor Swift's uh, speech at the VMAs where she was about to receive a... a He became infamous for calling out George Bush on live TV when he was supposed to be raising funds for Hurricane Katrina. He became infamous, infamous because he had a complete mental breakdown and ended up in hospital. Kanye fell apart, and Kanye was once interviewed by a guy called Zane Lowe, and Kanye said a a famous phrase. Zane said, well, who are you, Kanye? And Kanye said, you want to know who Kanye West is? I am a God. I am a God. And Kanye's just released an album in the last couple of weeks, and the the, the name of the album is Jesus is King. How do you go from I am a God to Jesus is King? Great mercy of God, the Hesed of God, bringing about an Anna Geneo in your life. Kanye has become an articulator of Christian faith. I, potentially, dare I say, it, a new St. Augustine. Somebody who's lived a, a life far apart from God, a licentious life who's come into a knowledge of God, who's growing in his knowledge of God, and has begun to articulate that for a generation of people. It's, it's a good thing for him. Now, he's not special. Every person, every man, every woman can have this. This is, the, this is one of the cornerstones of hope, is the fact that God can renew us. And let me tell you this, you're never too far in to the Christian thing to have a new birth. There's this narrative we accept in the church, which is that we have this romantic beginning with Jesus where heaven is open, God speaks, the the words of the Bible jump off the page for us, and every time we read the Bible, there's revelation. And then what happens after that is we get a bit used to it. And it just becomes a bit like, dare I say it, what married life can become like, the kids start to mess up the romance. Can I get an amen, anyone? Any of you who are married, you know that. And we begin to lose maybe the the excitement or the, the newness of it and what God wants to do. He doesn't want to leave it like that. What God wants to do is periodic and seasonally. He wants to bring about a new beginning. And I'm telling you, he's doing that now. He's doing that for many of us. Many of us would never have dreamed, I can say this, categorically, I'm a little bit off the notes here, categorically, because many of you have told told this to me, many of you had said to me, you never ever thought in your wildest dreams you would end up in an Anglican church. I think the bishop just said amen. I I I don't know what's going on. I would be one of those people I vowed I vowed as a I vowed as a 15 year old I will never do what my father's done. But because of the great mercy of God because God stirred and birthed a new beginning in me here I am. Here you are God is doing something in us which has to do with a new beginning. And everyone has the possibility of having that. What you've experienced of God to now isn't all there is. There's more. There's more. There's more of God. There's more of his goodness. There's a greater experience of his, of his intimacy, of his imminence, and also of his power, his transcendence. We haven't seen all there is of God. There's more. There's more for you. There's more for me. There's more for our communities. There's more for our city. There is more for our diocese. There's more for those who are now imprisoned. There is more for those who are isolated and lonely and anxious and despairing and depressed. There is more of God. But it's not just strength for today. There is also bright hope for tomorrow. Look at this. And An the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. An inheritance. What's an inheritance? An inheritance is something that somebody else works really, really hard for that you receive for free. (laughs) Right? And you don't have to have been in church long to know uh, that we can apply this to Jesus. Jesus works so hard to set us free into an inheritance and we just receive it by faith. It's completely free to us. See, this word inheritance picks up an Old Testament theme, a guy called Abraham, who God met with, and God said, look, I'm going to give you an inheritance, Abraham. That inheritance is going to be a promised land, a place, a space, where you will know that my blessing has been upon you because of this place. And later in the Old Testament, it picks it's. it's It's sort of metaphorically seen as a spiritual place that at the end of time, God will bring his people to this place. But in the New Testament, this place refers to the new heavens and the new earth. The creation that God is recreating now that you and I will inherit. The New Testament hope. The hope for tomorrow is that we will inherit the whole of creation. going to rule and reign with Jesus over everything, but not over the mess that we see of creation, not over the desiccated and despairing creation, the creation that groans with plastic in the seas and uh, tectonic plates shifting and grinding their way, creating earthquakes in which people lose their lives. No, a recreated heaven and a recreated earth. And you and I will govern that place with Jesus. That is a bright hope for tomorrow. It is the best shared ownership scheme anybody has ever come up with. This is the hope for tomorrow. And I know for us it's so difficult to catch hold of it because it seems so out there. It seems so distant, so difficult. It's it's so big. It's so big we can't get our hands around it. But that inheritance is ours. It must have felt big to Abraham. Abraham childless man coming into his later years. It must have felt too big when God said, I'm going to make a people of you and I'm going to give you that land that the Canaanites are in now. It must have felt big to him. Yet, because of his faith, his expectation projected into the future, because of his hope, he was able to hold on to it. It's time to hold on to the hope of new creation that God has for us. How do we do it? How has God done it? Well, uh, Peter's clear that it's through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the cornerstone of faith. The cornerstone of hope is the resurrection of Jesus. You see, many people and many Christians live their life as if they are Sisyphus. As if the rock that needs to be moved has to be moved in their strength, and it has to be pushed up the hill. And until we can push it up the hill and keep it there, there's no hope. We can't sustain hope. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there is another rock. And the other rock has been moved. It's been moved by the angel of the Lord, and it was moved so that Jesus could erupt from the tomb. The rock has been moved, and it is not you or I who move it. It is he who has moved it. And because of the empty tomb, there is hope for everyone. There is resurrection power available for everyone. There is new life Available for everyone. You see, Sisyphus had to push the rock up the hill in Hades. What God has done in Christ is to climb down into Hades. Into the place of death. Into the place of hell. And he has taken on hell's biggest weapon. He's taken on death and he has shattered the bars of death. And broken death open forever. So that those of us, even those of us who are staring into the face of death. Need not be afraid of death. The man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave. Vasco da Gama was a famous Portuguese sailor of the Middle Ages. At the time, people believed that it was impossible to sail around the southern tip of Africa... All attempts at rounding the Cape had failed, causing the headland to be named the Cape of Storms. Wreck after wreck had dashed hopes. The inability to round the Cape meant that trade routes between Europe and India were blocked. However, in 14... No, 1947? No, it was a bit earlier. 1497, Vasco da Gama bravely decided to give it another go. Against all odds, he successfully rounded the Cape. He returned to Lisbon victorious in the treacherous headland, In light of his accomplishment was renamed the Cape of Good Hope. One man had been where no one had been before and brought hope to all. By opening the trade route between Europe and India, Vasco da Gama transformed the world by creating a new world of possibility. This is the message of the resurrection. Jesus had rounded the Cape of Death, opening a new route to the new creation and bringing hope to all humankind. God's power is available. God is powerful. He is able. He is the miracle worker. And God's future is available to each of us. This is our inheritance. How do we bring this together? What Peter wants for his people is that they would be a people who would function in the midst of a world of exile, in the midst of a world of hopelessness, that they would function as a signal of hope, a beacon of hope a physical, uh, a bodily sign of hope. And he's saying, look, in order to live in that way, in order to be that kind of beacon, you need to have a living hope. My question simply this morning is, do you have a living hope? Is hope alive in you? Do you feel it? Do 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 you experience it even now as I've been speaking? Is the Spirit of God giving you the gift of hope? It is always a gift from him. Is he giving it? Is he, is he opening up a possibility for you that you've not seen before? Maybe that death is not the end. Maybe that death will not have the final word. This week I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who has experienced immeasurable sadness in life. Somebody who I love and deeply admire and respect, but who's lost uh, a child very, very young. She said this to me. I don't think she'd mind me saying, but she has struggled in faith. And she said said these words to a friend of hers a while ago. The only thing that's keeping me connected to Christianity is the hope that I might see my son again. A friend said with incredible wisdom, hold on to that thread. It's a strong thread. What if it's true? What if it's true that a man was raised from the dead and because he was raised from the dead, every one of us will be raised from the dead? That we will see those that we love again, that we will be united with them on eternity's shore where death is a memory and fears a what if it's true? What if the whole world can't be collapsed into what we see before us right now? What if it's true? It is true. They didn't find Jesus' bones. The man was raised and because of him, we too will be raised with God. My question this morning, do you have a living hope? Where are you? Are you Sisyphus? Are you like me? Do you find yourself at the bottom of the hill exhausted and wondering why you're so tired? (laughs) And then looking around and realizing because you've been pushing the rock uphill again. Maybe you're standing at at the mouth of the tomb wondering if it's too good to be true. Staring into the mouth of the tomb, the empty tomb, and saying, could it be that I can go in as well? And maybe you've stepped inside. Today is a day to come in. Come in. Step into the empty tomb. See the grave clothes folded away and receive a hope which comes from the great mercy, the living mercy of God himself. Why don't we stand and we're gonna pray. Father God, I ask today, that you would bring great hope. Not because I have ranted and raved, not because of any insights that may have come from a particular presentation of these truths, but because you are God and you delight to give good gifts to your people. You delight to bring hope, you delight to bring new birth. And you delight to bring, uh, to lead us into our inheritance. Holy Spirit, do it now. We ask you. We ask you. Do it now. And begin, Lord, with those who are struggling with hope. Lord, I pray today that you would bring a new beginning for those who are struggling under the weight of anxiety, under the weight of despair, under the weight of depression. Lay a table before them. We don't have loads of time, so I'm going to make this quick. But just as I'm speaking, I just imagine a a table (laughs) laid on the front here, full of good things. And one of those good things is is hope. And I just think there are people here this morning who want to come and receive from the table, from the table of hope. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed to you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening.